Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Thinking Ahead, a GFK Insights podcast. I'm Hannah Leiter, your host. Now, as we do each June here at GFK, we celebrated Pride Month along with many others. We like to use this time as an opportunity to recognize and celebrate our LGBTQIA employees, colleagues, and loved ones, and reflect on the progress the community has seen in recent years while confronting all that there is yet to do. And most importantly, we want to affirm our commitment to using our organization's data and resources in ways that will encourage companies and individuals to do the same. But just because the official Pride Month is over, that's no reason to hang up your rainbow flags until next summer. Rather, we want to encourage everyone listening to spend the entire year learning about the LGBTQIA community, how to connect with them authentically, and why it's vital to do this, both culturally but also from a business perspective. To dive into this further, on today's episode, we're sharing an audio version of a panel discussion that our sister organization, MRI Simmons, held in June, titled Building Connections Beyond Pride Month. The panel discusses the changing attitudes among Americans towards the LGBTQIA plus community. They explain the perils of rainbow washing or superficial allyship without meaningful effort or action behind it. And they explore the ways that companies can make impactful outreach to the community as part of their business strategy throughout the year. Hello, everyone, and thank you all so much for joining us today for a very special panel discussion that we're having, Building Connections Beyond Pride Month, How Media and Brands Can Forge Lasting Bonds with the LGBTQIA community not just during a rainbow-filled June celebration, but on an ongoing basis, regardless of the month or time of year. My name is Matt Pedersen, I'm from MRI Simmons, and I wanna thank you for spending part of your day with us today. I think that regardless of your industry, you'll have some new insights and perspectives to bring back when we're done to both your professional function and also your your personal life and understanding uh, as well. So so first up is Diane Anderson Minchel, who's CEO of Pride Media and Editorial Director of Out, The Advocate Plus and Out Traveler Magazines and also Pride.com. And there's also Joseph Chen, who is Consumer Insights Lead for Wellbeing and Sustainability at Mondelez. And Kirk Olson, SVP and Managing Director of Cultural Intelligence at Horizon Media. And of course, Karen Ramsbacker, SVP of Innovation and Insights for us at MRI Simmons. Karen is today's moderator and discussion leader, so I'll turn it over to her. Thanks, Matt. MRI Simmons has always been supportive of the LGBTQ community. We've always had uh, the basic data of identity in our national data set, which includes all of the consumption of all kinds of products, as well as all kinds of media. What's new here is that we've done a full study about attitudes and opinions towards issues of the LGBTQ community, support, allyship, and also questions around gender identity to find out where Americans are at in terms of understanding, appreciation, and really whether they're allying with the issues and how they're embracing them. Because there's so much going on today, not just in in media, but in culture, characters on TV, conversations happening, posting on Instagram, and of course, political upheaval, 
we, around the trans and gender identity issues, we wanted to put this into the field. So we talked to over 5,000 adults nationwide, and here's some of the findings. Um, support is high for the LGBTQ community, uh, and you can see even it's 68% for adults, uh, and more than four in 10 are very supportive. And if you look down at the older end of the spectrum, even among the 65 plus, it's 60% who are supportive and 25% are very supportive. Overall, the support skews a bit female um, and the females are 13% more likely than the males to be supportive. Um, and of course, it's high among the community itself. Uh, and so while the study looks at LGBT, LGB issues around sexuality, it also looks at the gender identity as separate. So we will cover that in just a moment. So as I threw this slide up, I just wanted to get the conversation started. You know, does this level of support surprise you guys? What do you, what do you think of this data? Is it in line with what you expect? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that this is, and we're seeing again what you see here, especially among the you know the younger, uh, you know, un, 45 and under group. Um, you know, they're really driving a lot of this stuff as well. We see, we see them driving not just in their own categories, but having influence on you know, say Gen Zs having influence on what their boomer parents think about LGBTQ issues, stuff like that. So. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, we've actually done a study recently in May of our own at Horizon where we asked people about their uh, sexual orientation identity and we found that 72% of 18 to 34 year olds agree that they're neither completely opposite sex oriented nor completely same sex oriented. So it's not surprising to see this really elevated level of support among the, especially these 18 to 24 year olds we see on the slide now. And it's the trajectory we've been on, and I think it's the trajectory we'll continue to be on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also among the least, like um, it's definitely a key focus for us, especially on the diversity inclusion. Um, like our Rainbow Council was established in 1992 uh, when Mount was part of Kraft Foods, and we have gotten a lot more support over the years, especially you know, at the state and also federal level. But we have implemented more inclusive policies. Uh, including the same-sex adoption and benefit to really support our trans employees going through the transition uh, with medical coverage support like by our organization. And we actually currently have about 136 Rainbow Council members in the U.S. What qualifies as the Rainbow Council, Joseph? So it's an employee-like um, network. So like the, um, like the members can be an ally or can be self-identified as a um, LGBTQ employee. Kirk, I think Horizon has um, sort of a group like this as well, right? Yeah, we do. We have a group called Horizon Out, and it's one of our many. We have what we call business resource groups, which I know is a term that a lot of a lot of companies use in, in the world of DEI. But uh, Horizon Out is both a social group for LGBTQ people and our allies to find each other, but also a resource for the agency. Um, and we help the agency with both what I'd call inside voice and outside voice. With inside voice, it's things like just today, I was responding to an inquiry from uh, a woman who runs uh, one of our programs uh, around female leadership called Limitless. And they wanted to make sure that their invitation to these events was inclusive of all people who identify as female within the agency. So they reached out to Horizon Out just to have us look at their communications 
and weigh in on you know what that communication should look like we also help clients one of our clients we're very proud to say is showtime uh, who has been leading on issues of lgbtq representation and inclusion for many many years um, they have a program right now called queer to stay which is to help uh, businesses that have been hard hit by the pandemic queer owned businesses and we have regular calls with our both our internal team and with the client about how we can you know surface more businesses across the nation that could be helped by the program that's very impressive um when you get an inquiry like uh you got today about the email does it feel how do you feel about it because i could imagine you could either feel excited like yay we're doing the right thing or yeah. you might feel overburdened because you have to weigh in on what someone yeah. else is it definitely didn't feel like a burden. Uh, I felt excited to be able. I, I felt I felt excited to be part of an agency where that is the the protocol and where that is becoming what people do. Um, if anything, I felt a little bit, um, you know, kind of like, am I really the right person to speak to this? Because I'm not. I'm not transgender myself. I am a gay and cisgender man. But uh, I, I felt like I had enough, then I checked with others in our out group, uh, had enough of a perspective on sort of how this communication could look and be welcoming to, to be able to offer an opinion. And I was just happy to be able to provide it. That's great. And that's a yeah. great segue to the next slide, actually, because the next topic, well, we, we covered many topics, but in the, in the study, um, we asked about how Americans, where are you on the spectrum of engagement? And as you can see on the left side, you know, more than a third are doing something. So the little green box is the 6% who are an activist working to make change. And I would assume that you all would consider yourselves in that box, as would I. Um, another 19% consider themselves an ally. 10% are actively educating themselves. And then you see the yellow at the bottom. 17% are open to learning more, but not currently actively seeking out information and then a big chunk 31 percent say they don't care and at the top there the red bucket is 17 percent saying they're against lgbtq issues topics and so it it's really looks like you know america is a third doing stuff and a third nah, not really and then we've got some folks we got to move somewhere along the line uh, so I just wanted to ask you, what what does this data make you think of? It's really a breadth of where people are at. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that we're down to only 17% have objections, it really shows us that basically everybody else there is responsive to LGBTQ marketing, basically. The people who don't care, they just don't care. It doesn't bother them. So, you know, when you're going as a business, for example, if you're chasing the $1.1 trillion buying power of the LGBTQ market, you really only worry about those 17% now. That that number, like 10, 20 years ago, was was larger than the, the amount of support. So I think as the as the number of like LGBTQ folks that are out in America grows, um, you know, because we have over 17 million people now. So it's like, you know, that I think as that grows, it impacts this as well. And the more companies and businesses and media outlets that, um, you know, start amplifying these voices, the the lower and lower that 17% number gets as well. Yeah. And I think the goal for like employee group, like the Rainbow Council that we have is like, it's really, really critical, like to really foster that open and 
inclusive environment for both the LGBTQ employees and also allies. Um, I know like for us, like, you know, our commitment to the LGBTQ like, employee and also the community is really beyond just pride. Um, so we have a sort of a counter of events like throughout the year, like we start the year with the Lesbian Visibility Day uh, in April, then we move on to uh, the International Day Against Homophobia in May, and then obviously the Pride Month, and then September is when we reactivate again, and then like we talk about sort of the Bisexual Awareness Week, um, and then October is sort of the busiest time for us, because that's when we have a big activation behind the National Coming Out Day. And then we end the year uh, with the Trans Awareness Month in November. So like our focus is really to keep the conversation going throughout the year. Yeah, I think that's a new thing for businesses that are doing it right now. I think that, um, you know, we have for, for us at Pride Media, we've been, you know, our brands have been amplifying and sharing these experiences for decades. And we have been focusing on you know, our Pride 365 campaign for years, but we really had to go to market with that last year because, you know, we were we were hearing from agencies and clients, oh, well, Pride is canceled, we're gonna pull out of the market, all these different things. And we were trying to go back and say, look, we're a community 12 months a year, 365 days a year. So, um, you know, Pride today, Pride, Pride every day. Um, so we really went to agencies with that and ask them, and I think the businesses that are really responsive are sort of retooling how they think about pride marketing overall. Because I think that, you know, they need to move from thinking of pride as a month to add rainbows to brand logos and, and find ways to support LGBTQ people all year round and uh, through donations and inclusive marketing and, um, you know, intentionally engaging with the LGBT community in, in ways that, um, you know, ways that we do at Pride Media. I just want to say it's it's really impressive, Joseph, to hear, hear you talk about this really year-round commitment. Um, I would really love to see more advertisers engaging in, in that kind of work. Um, I also want to say it, it's really quite remarkable that we've gotten to a point where we've got 17% who are against it, when you know Stonewall was only in 1969, that's not that long ago that the movement has been happening. Um, so if anything, I just wish for more advertisers to get more comfortable. I found a really interesting study uh, that came from GLAAD in partnership with P&G, where they surveyed advertisers and agencies about comfort around LGBTQ marketing. And 46% of of that audience agreed that, quote, we are fearful of public backlash for including LGBTQ people in our advertising. The numbers that we just showed just showed that that fear is, is, is maybe, you know, not warranted. It's really not warranted. And so I think that, you know, as, as agencies, as owners of, of, of uh, LGBTQ media companies, the more we can do to get more advertisers comfortable, the better. I think too, the thing is, um, I mean, let's not forget, you know, uh, the LGBTQ rights movement, it didn't start at Stonewall. It happened long before that. It just, you know, that was a, a crystal moment that we try to memorialize and stuff. But um, uh, I mean, we we had LGBTQ publications before Stonewall and stuff. Oh, sure, the so, Madison Society and, and yeah. many things. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I think that, and for those of us who are, per perhaps of age, 
um, Gen X and boomers, um, you know, for us, when we came of age, uh, you know, nobody marketed to the community. Nobody wanted to touch this kind of stuff. And um, I remember you couldn't even be an out journalist, you know, in the late 80s. I, that was, you know, I cut, told that in mainstream media repeatedly. And, um, and I remember, you know, getting those very early campaigns in the early 90s from, uh, you know, Absolute and uh, those like very early advertising supporters. So for us, this is like, look at this phenomenal place we've gotten to where all these companies have, you know, pride collections and stuff like that. But I think for Gen Z, they're on such a different level. They've grown up with this kind of stuff. They see it for what it is. They know, you know, the difference between when it's something that is, uh, you know, just marketing to them by, you know, just sort of a lazy attempt at slapping a rainbow onto a product they already have, um, those kinds of things. They see beyond that at this point, where I think still we're we're a little bit dazzled just to have companies acknowledge us, and uh, mm -hmm. I think generationally, there's differences. So I do know that, um, you know, I think there's some brands though that have been just really phenomenal. Like if I could share a few. The, I know for us, one of ours that we work with is Bubbly, and which is PepsiCo, and uh, they've been like a staunch supporter of LGBTQ issues since since Bubbly was launched in 2018. And last year, when everybody was talking about pausing, they were like, "Let's go all in." Expanded their partnership um, with us and and with uh, creators. And um, so they were in Pride, they were in summer, Halloween, holidays, and then our new campaign um, that we did with them is this Out at Night, um, and it's an editorial and a branded video partnership. And everybody behind the camera was LGBTQ. We had filmmaker Austin Nunes. Everybody in front of the camera was in front of it was LGBTQ, like uh, Aquaria, the winner of RuPaul's Drag Race, and Gia Love, and. Um, and they did in conjunction with us as a LGBTQ media company. And, um, but the best part of it, I thought was the video also featured um, Lisa Canastasi from uh, one of the owner of New York's um, uh, Henrietta Hudson, which is this historic lesbian bar. And it's one of only 15 lesbian bars left in the country. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, again, one of those, you know, that's right on the verge of of closing through the pandemic and stuff. So Bubbly donated 15,000 directly to Henrietta's. Um, and it's not contingent on anybody else buying anything or buying one of their products, It nothing. You don't have to do anything. That money just goes to them. So I think they've taken this angle of restoring LGBT nightlife to the country, but they've also backed it up by being like, not just drink our drinks, but like they backed it up by being like, here, let's see what we can do to help. Um, you know, promote you. And they didn't take the easy route. We know from a market perspective, the easy route would have been find a gay men's club or bar, uh, do a nice, you know, beefcake tie-in, maybe a foam party, throw out the videos, you know, um, and that would have been a nice easy way um, and a traditional way. So they, they've done, like Bubbly's done these like really interesting types of partnerships. They did one with family equality to, that actually like, you know, was sort of actionable elements that LGBTQ parents and families could use. So it's really interesting in, in what they did. And then I think that, um, and then Joseph, the Oreos, uh, mm -hmm. Oreos has continued to be like the star, uh, the star among getting it right um, for marketers in terms of the LGBTQ community, their family acceptance video, uh, did everything right, queers, queer and trans people behind the scenes, a queer couple cast in the video and, um, 
and, you know, simple messages that weren't about, you know, what you needed to buy to support them. I mean, it's just, um, you know, they had a trans cinematographer on that as well. It was just a lovely acceptance campaign. And it's part of their ongoing thing with like the Lady Gaga Oreos that did not come out in June. Like Oreo just does stuff all year. It's not tied mm -hmm. into well, first of all, Diane, thanks for sharing that. And um, I agree with you about Bob Lee. I think like they've done a fantastic job. But Oreo, that's definitely like, you know, it's one of the reasons why I'm you know, still with Mondelez. I think Oreo has like a very long-standing partnership with PFLAG. And so last year, uh, we just shared the story of the father who struggled to find, you know, words to show his daughter his acceptance and pride. So he actually used his action instead. So I still get really emotional just thinking about it. Um, so we, I think we experienced a lot of love for this family and with lots of messages about like coming up with the right thing to say, which is hard. So like, I think this year, like Oreo is teaming up with PFLAG again on the power of the words um, mm -hmm. we use with our loved ones when they come out. So more to come on this exciting campaign. Um, but you also to touch on Reds, like we aired a, um, a campaign last year in December um, called Welcome and really showcased a very diverse cast, so including like gender fluid characters. And then like for Capri Cream A, the 50th uh, birthday uh, this year, uh, we actually wanted to make it most cream, like most inclusive cream egg season ever. So we actually <laughs> requested, <laughs> we actually requested the production agency to really consider how to bring life our film in a diverse way, both in front, also behind the lens. And then so really encourage that conversation about diversity in the industry and then be very clear on our expectation from the start. So the creative actually featured a gay couple kissing over a cream egg. I don't know if any of you have seen this mm -hmm. ad. Yeah. Um, yeah, like the feedback, actually the feedback from consumer were quite were mixed. Um, yeah. Yeah, but like you know, but the thing is that we're so proud of it, and this, I think, and I think this is why we're still here today. We're still, I think, there's still a lot of work conversation that need to be done. You're talking about what the businesses are doing, and I can tell you that consumers are with you. Like that's what's. I was so pleased when I saw this data because, of course, I have a secret agenda to make the world a better place, and I feel that we can do that. Um, it shows here that over, you know, six more than six in ten believe that brands should support the LGBTQ community all year, not just during Gay Pride Month, which is exactly what you have been saying. And they think that most companies do, are there already, and they're and they're actually voting with their dollars, which we knew, um, and even willing to ask friends not to buy from a company if they're not LGBTQ friendly. Now that's a low number, but it's certainly higher than I as a researcher expected. But to clarify, there's still some neutral and negative reactions. You know, people say it makes no difference. And uh, again, a third are turned off by companies that support. But I would assume that the brands that you've been discussing are seeing a return on their investment. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing this. So can you guys speak to any of the business aspects? For Oreo, obviously, we had like our best year ever uh, last year. I think we're, um, we're growing like in the double digits. Um, so I think, um, yeah, so I definitely, we, we, we see like, not just from a, from a revenue or from a sales standpoint, but just in terms of the, the engagement from the consumers and also from the, like the employees, like you won't believe like the, the, the number of messages that we receive from just the employee groups and also like, 
just from the consumer in terms of what we have done. So I think that made the like the brand team like super proud in terms of what the uh, the brand's mission and also what the uh, accomplishment um, that Oreo has like you know achieved to date. I think too with this you know with the ROI on these kinds of campaigns you know you you can't always put like the direct dollar on it in this particular way but basically when you're raising visibility and the virality and the engagement of these companies you know uh with consumers in these particular ways i think that 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 you know does have a, a bottom line impact but i think it's it, i think it's important to you know again remember our our buying power just from the queer community you know is that 1.1 trillion dollars and um and you know, if we were a country, we'd be the twelfth largest economy in the world. So, as a company, you know, imagine, you know, just uh, imagine ignoring all of Florida or something. You know, you know, companies constantly report back that they see a return on their investment when it comes to marketing this. Um, we were looking at entertainment because obviously, MRI Simmons has a lot to do with media, and we actually asked Americans, you know, how you feel about some of this, how much do you agree or disagree? And you can see, you know, 49% like it when shows or movies show transgender, gender fluid, or gender non-binary characters. And I was looking as they were putting together the slide, you know, those are shows that I know I watch, you know, Billions, Feel Good, um, RuPaul's Drag Race, Pose. And of course it started, well, it didn't start, but one of the bigger hits back in the day was Queer Eye, the L word's been around for a long time, but now you see a program uh, on the upper right, like special, where the character, it's about his cerebral palsy. He just happens to be gay. So it, it, it's just in, naturally incorporated there. And uh, you know, 43% say it's important that the content I watch includes characters that represent the LGBTQ community because Americans feel that it's part of their life. I mean, it's not yet a majority, but four in 10 is a big number. And um, I was just wondering what you guys think this will mean for the future for culture and for advertisers. Well, I think it's really clear. I mean, culturally, it's amazing and such a great move. I think it's really clear that, um, you know, younger consumers, people under 50, they really demand to see sort of intersectional diversity in their programming, in their television, in their marketing, in their advertising. So I think that, you know, with Gen Z in particular, if you don't, you know, if, if you don't have diversity in your brand and like authentic representational diversity behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, those kinds of things, Gen Z will just tune your whole brand out with a sort of okay boomer attitude, you know? So I think it's like, I think that, you know, Younger consumers are really, you know, going to reshape companies out there. Um, they're just sort of like demanding that that companies, you know, participate and take the lead on on uh, conversations about social movements and um, diversity and inclusion in ways that are really interesting and authentic and just sort of for those of us who are a little bit older, unthought of even, you know, like we never thought this would be possible. Um, 30 years ago, and and here it is. This generation is just pushing it forward, which I think, um, you know, is is amazing, and it's going to be an amazing impact on the world. And I think it resonates because it's life. I mean, the, the, this is this is the life that people actually lead. These are the people that they know. I think increasingly, when we talk about the younger generations, you know, they're more likely to say that they know someone who's LGBTQ 
or as you know, we quoted that stat earlier to actually feel that that they are LGBTQ or otherwise gender non-binary. Um, and I think that you know, I know I'm really proud of our Showtime client for all that they do. Um, you know, a, a character who's not up here that I think is really an, a, an interesting character is Ian from Shameless, because mm -hmm. you know that that storyline was incorporated in that series that ran for 11 seasons right from the very beginning. And it was never put in to be like, this is a show that is for gay people, but, but it is for gay people because mm. it has this character. And I think the more that, the more that things are more organically in, integrated in that way, the better. I think another key moment is, you know, when you have Angelica Ross playing an American Horror Story in 1984, a female character where it's never, it's never specified whether the character is transgender and that's because the character is a woman as Angelica Ross is a woman. I think that, you know, what, what it means to represent LGBT stories and identities has just really shifted and it's really great to see. Yeah. And I think like, you know, um, so obviously we have an obligation like as advertisers to really have the right representation of both the characters in the creative as well as people who are working like hard behind the scenes. So like, um, I know I'm under this, we just recently formed a global DNI marketing council uh, with the journey to really accelerate our DNI agenda within our marketing community. We actually set like KPI in place. Um, like there's like basically our DNI roadmap, like in like three different phases. And then like the first phase really about focusing on how we achieve equal representation in the media and creative and also production supply chain. And we're working very closely with Free the Work uh, on that. And then also we have uh, the second phase, which is really focusing on how we eliminate sort of bias and racism by accurately portraying all humanity in advertising content and media. So we have another sort of set of KPI in place in terms of how the percentage of the accurate portrayal score. Um, and then lastly, we'll also like have this like, how, like how do we eliminate hateful and harmful content online? So that's another area that we'll try to like um, have a, um, some kind of focus on. Um, these, so these are sort of some of the like um, DNI like uh, roadmap that we have like internally at Mondelez. Well, I yeah. was going to ask Kirk because you mentioned about um, Showtime, and, and I was wondering from an agency perspective if the media planners are doing anything different, or how you guys are thinking about media for campaigns aside from the ones that are for, you know the kinds of programming we were just discussing? Well, we actually, we have a, a program in the agency and it's, it's, been, it's been true for a good while, but uh, we are uh, all pursuing non-discrimination in terms of media choices and uh, embracing walking into conversations with our clients to have conversations about making uh, more diverse choices across the media plan um, whenever it makes sense for the business. So not just when it's about, you know, a pride campaign. So that is definitely something that's very close to the heart of our agency and, and, and goes right up to the top of our agency with Bill Konigsberg, our founder. And it's been even a month, I'm, I'm so glad you guys um, brought this up because I, you know, it's nice to see like the impact that it's having, like, even like with uh, Prime Media, uh, with your agency, Kerr, because like, you know, we actually have a mandate internally to actually work with like uh, minority owned businesses. Uh, I actually have a personal KPI for myself, like this year that I have to like 
bring in um, a minority owned like um, entrepreneur business to like as like the supplier that we work with. So um, it's really nice to see in terms of the impact that like you know that has been like seen in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're definitely seeing a move around. Um you know, a move around, you know, requiring, you know, minority owned businesses in not just supply chains, but in media outlets and all these different things. I think what our task is for, um, you know, the LGBT audience and um, as well as the black audience and the Latinx audience is, and and, um, I love that um, disability folk, folks with disabilities have been included in this, women and gender. Um, We're kind of being uh, you know, put together in one thing. What our important thing is, is trying to make sure that we don't all just get othered in one lump other category. And so they stop seeing, they start seeing us as one giant minority market and then stop seeing really what the the disparate needs are. Black trans women are going to have different needs than black cis women, you know? And so we're getting towards the end. I just wanted to go to the pronoun discussion. Um, in the data that we had in the field, uh, just a bare majority, just a bare majority, 55% said they like that people are defining their pronoun use. One more for me, please. Thank you. Uh, So I think this is a really interesting time because honestly, this was higher than I, as the lead researcher, expected. Um, And I was pleased that it's a bare majority. Now it is a bare majority. Um, But people are finding it important, and especially, as Diana's mentioned, the younger set. So I was just wondering, are your companies doing it? You know, what kind of importance does it have? Do you have any tips and tricks for the rest of us who I just started doing it thanks to Kirk's influence on me? So Um, We have it in our email. It's optional for people to use it, but most people at our company just put it in the email, which is a really easy, inoffensive way to do it. Um, but it also, remember, it helps people who are cisgender and straight and all the way, because how many times have you had people wonder if Chris is a boy or a girl, you know, all these like these different things. So it helps everybody if it's just straightforward out there because people know how you define yourself and you don't have to ask questions. We can't, uh, I noticed, you know, my husband is transgender, so he actually has a higher pitched voice than a lot of men. Um, And so when people pick up the phone and they're talking with him, a lot of times they'll call him ma'am or, you know, uh, ask for his husband, different things like that. And it's like, I always think if people would just, you know, if they would stop to think about the pronoun issue before they just assuming anyone with a high voice is a man or is a woman, um, that would be, you know, really helpful. So I think there's a lot of easy ways that we can do this as businesses. I was just, it's happening more and more in, in Horizon and it is, it is very much in the signature line. Um, I know for me, uh, I, at first as a cisgendered gay man, I felt like I was maybe co-opting something that wasn't for me by specifying my pronouns. And it really took, you know, someone opening my eyes to the fact that that is a way to signal a safe space. And that is a way to signal that pronouns are on the table. Um, so that's yeah. why I do it. And then we did a, um, a workshop last year um, about building a respectful culture among the least and so really encourage people to use pronoun and i don't know if you guys heard of like jennifer brown consulting like so she yeah, like yeah. training for us yeah and then so we're like we're looking to have her back again this year to do a more advanced uh, training on pronouns uh, we basically okay. encourage everyone to use pronouns in their email signature and then feel free to really talk about the pronoun when they introduce themselves um, and then we have this training really like have it accessible in on our internet so anyone can go 
go in and also like uh, go through the training. Uh, but I, I think the goal for us is really to make sure that we can attract talents, the right talent to our organization, especially that we all talk about the Gen Z coming in to the work workforce. It's so critical to make sure that we're be, be basically are open and having that welcoming approach to having them come into our organization. Yeah. And so let's go to the last slide and then we'll see if there are any questions that came in. Um, I really wanted to end on this idea of allyship. Um, the last bit of information was looking at the uh, gender diversity issue and it's very similar to the support for the LGBTQ topic. And it is pretty much the same people because we crossed the data and saw that. It is definitely even higher than this among the young people. And the question that I wanted to pose to you guys, which is a hard one, how do we increase allyship? I think the allyship needs to be both top-down within the organization, how to be more a top-down approach and also the grassroots bottom-up approach. Um, I feel like we're quite lucky among these, we're like, you know, we're actually doing both because our CEO Dirk has shared his support. Um, as a proud ally um, with the LGBTQ community, like publicly with, and also within the organization. Um, and also we have several like very senior executives at the, at the organization, global and also local level are in the LGBTQ community. So, and they've been really, really great partners. Um, and also at the, the Rainbow Council, obviously in the US is like, our goal is really also to, to continue recruit allies um, into the Rainbow Council. Um, and we have an ally toolkit that's available for everyone to access, especially anyone new to the organization, um, they can access the, uh, the toolkit. I think that um, one of the things that I think is important, um, and we often facilitate and, and we do trainings and consulting as well. Um, and one of the things that we do is a lot of handholding with agencies and clients to like help them understand and get to this point. I think on a corporate level, and, and um, it, it's important to meet people where they are. One of the things is that uh, when people feel stupid because they don't know something, they will dislike you for making them feel stupid. So I think there's so much education that needs to be done. And if you have leadership who is in on is is supportive of that education, you should absolutely put that out there. Don't ask your transgender employees to educate people. Don't let ask the trans employees to do a trans 101. You know, bring in somebody else who is trans, who is you know, uh, who is established and who can really speak about that because that is their job. All right. Well, that that does it for the actual slides that I had prepared. We skipped through some, but they're all available in the download. Um, Matt, have any questions come in in the last few minutes? So I think this might be an important one and a good one to just opine on. How, how do you think the, the quote-unquote cancel culture has impacted the allyship sphere in, and arena when it comes to companies that are still trying or still learning and, and trying to find their voice doing this kind of outreach? I think there's a fear of cancel culture that is far outside, uh, outsized compared to the reality of quote unquote cancel culture. I think that um, I would, as a business person, I would not use that as an excuse not to, you know, make these steps. I think that making clumsy steps are things that are forgiving. Making awful steps are the things that are not forgiven. If you do this right and you include LGBTQ people involved in the process, 
you're not gonna be canceled. You're not gonna be boycotted or protested. I mean, Joseph talked about the the cream egg thing. That was really racy. It got a lot of people riled up, you know? So half the people loved it, half the people didn't love it. But did anybody cancel them? No, you know? So I think that's like, don't use that as an excuse to not do this because, um, because I think that people acknowledge when you're authentically trying to do something right, that uh, people acknowledge that and they celebrate it and support it. Because again, go to Target, you can see everybody's still buying everything with a rainbow on it too, you know? So it's like, and we just finished talking about how some of those companies aren't doing it right. Well, people are still buying it, you know? No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that, you know, it shouldn't be used as an excuse. And I think the key is what you're saying is you, you need to involve the people from the community behind the scenes in what you're creating and then be be ready to stand your ground if, if you get criticized uh, you know for example we have the ad that's out now with Jonathan Van Ness and Simone Biles that some people love it some people hate it but they've really stuck by it including Simone Biles who has you know said you know I'm I will always support the LGBT community and you know what what we did with this ad and and it's a fun campaign all right awesome well we're, we're right at time so um i do appreciate all of our panelists for for joining us and i appreciate our whole audience for sticking with us a lot of people stuck through and and that's really that's really great to see thank you again to the group and thank you everybody for tuning in thank you for listening to this week's episode of thinking ahead for more information on today's topic you can click the link in the description and please make sure to leave us a rating and review. Let us know what you like about the show. And of course, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button to keep up to date on the latest insights. We'll see you next time so you can keep thinking ahead.